Well, we're nearing the end of this letter that we've been studying for the last, uh, I guess, couple months now. So we're in chapter 5 of Galatians. We'll finish chapter 5, looking at verses 16 through 25. As you pull that up, a few years ago I was having a conversation with a friend, and he was telling me about how his relationship to his brother had improved significantly over the last several years. And he said something to me. It was really an insightful observation. He said, you know how I've noticed that the two of us have been getting closer over this time? We don't talk to each other nearly as much about what we're doing anymore. Our conversations with each other are now centering around who we're becoming. As we reach this point of the letter... Paul is talking to us about something that happens in us when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And if the law is concerned about what you do and what you don't do, one of the things I want you to see in this passage is that God's concerns for you run much deeper than that. That his concern is the person you are and the person that you're becoming. And my hope is that as we look at this passage, you'll be really encouraged about the work that God is up to in our midst, in our lives, and in our very own hearts. Let's look together. This is Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. Hear the word of the Lord. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. O you Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be among us, that you would speak to us, in the places we need to hear. I pray, Father, that you would work in such a way that we would leave here encouraged in our faith, convicted of our sins, hungry for the goodness that you call us to, and assured of the forgiveness that you've already given to us. Would you help me, your servant, to love these friends well and to honor you, Lord Jesus, as I speak. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So not long ago, a friend showed me a series of short videos uh, that came from PBS, of all places. Uh, 
Just not long ago, somebody told me, hey, I hate it when pastors recommend something or tell me about something, but then don't recommend it, you know? This is one of those things I can recommend. It's safe. So it's from PBS. But it's a short, it's a series of short videos called You're Doing It Wrong. Um, and uh, it's hosted by the Sklar Brothers. If you're not familiar, they're a comedy duo. They're very funny. I think they're real brothers because they, they look alike. And, uh, and what they do is they're just simply trying to make sense of some of the mysteries of life that we all experience. Like what hiccups are and how to get rid of them. I mean, they're super helpful. They're super helpful and they make you laugh. Uh, so it's wonderful. I think that's why I like it. As much as they, uh, they appeal to me in a way that some of my favorite teachers do, this short series of videos also appeal to something that is as broad as it is deep in the lives that we lead. And it's simply this. It's the idea that if life is hard... It's because there's something you don't know. And when you come to know it, all our problems will be solved. As if the the riddles of our labors are solved by simply knowing more. Now, I I don't want to be flippant about information or, or the goodness of knowledge. I mean, we benefit a lot from the work of many who have gone before us. But it's interesting to me that we live in an information age, and it hasn't made us any less anxious. In fact, it hasn't made us any less afraid. And in a lot of ways, it hasn't made us any less frail. And if this, uh, if this, uh, if this is alive and well in our lives, it's certainly alive and well in our faith. Because it comes to us in such a way that leaves us exceedingly vulnerable to suffering. When we suffer, we can feel like there's something we don't know. As if we're doing the Christian faith wrong. And here's what I want you to understand. That 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 idea is not supported anywhere in the Bible. In fact, it almost seems like it goes to pains to tell us that a life with God, this side of the new heavens and the new earth, is full of struggle. Abraham would probably call it journeying into the unknown. Moses would probably call it wandering in the wilderness. The prophets would call it exile. Paul calls it running a race that's before us. And Jesus one time told his disciples that if you seek to follow me, it involves picking up a cross and following him. Now, what I think we're looking at when we look at this passage that speaks to us about the work of the Spirit in the hearts of a believer, I think, is an insight into one of the reasons that the Christian life can be hard at times. And what he reveals to us is that life with God involves a way of struggle, and yet life with God also involves the way of victory. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. It's the way of struggle and the way of victory. This this whole passage begins with Paul naming a struggle that is universal to those who belong to Jesus. What does he say? He says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. This is conflict. He says, these things are opposed to each other. They are mutually exclusive. 
And what he's describing to you is a struggle that the spirit engages and the battlefield is your heart. It is a, it is a struggle for your heart. What Paul means when he's talking about the desires of the flesh is simply your natural desires. The desires you and I were, were all born with. And the word that he uses for desire is a really interesting word. It could be, it could be translated uh, extra desire or over desire or uh, super desire. And that's important to us because while we all struggle with desiring things that might or might not be good for us or good for other people, often the common struggle for us is, is, uh, is a, a, an insatiable desire for good things. And we do this with food, we do this with relationships, we do this with sex, where we desire good things that God gives us and then we seek to replace God's place in our heart. And the Bible would call that idolatry. And so the Holy Spirit, when we come to faith in Christ, the promise of Scripture to us is that the Holy Spirit enters our hearts and immediately begins fighting for it. He immediately goes, sits to work, training us to resist our very nature. And you might call that heart surgery, but it is the struggle of the Christian life that all of us are in. And this struggle is also a visible struggle. Did you see verse 19? It said the the evidence, the works of the flesh are evident. And what he's saying to us is that one of the, you know, no matter how good we think that we are at hiding our sin or hiding our shame, we all can see the effects of them as we go about our daily lives. That we're all in this together and we can all see these things. When I was in high school, this was terrifying. Um, and yet thrilling. Uh, I was on the wrestling team in high school, and I'll tell you that there's nothing that exposes you more, I think, than wrestling. Of all the sports that I played in high school, it was wrestling. Because you were getting on a mat with one other person in front of a bunch of stands, and everything about your strength and everything about your, uh, your skills were being tested out in the open. It felt completely exposed. And one of the things that Paul is telling us is that in a lot of ways, we wage this struggle kind of like that, except for there's a key difference that, that all of us are on the, this mat, that none of us are immune for it, from it, that we're all in this together. That's the struggle that you and I are in. And there are times when we might ask, is it worth it? <laughs> is it worth it? If life with God challenges some of the most innate desires of my heart, is it really worth it? And so one of the things I want you to see is that the Holy Spirit's struggle for your heart is is fundamentally a struggle for your good. Because when I look at the list of the works of the flesh that Paul lays out, starting at, was it starting verse 19, goes through 20, 18 through 20, something like that. When I look at that, I see ways that we hurt each other. I see ways that we hurt ourselves. I look at those wound, I look at that list and I see wounding. It begins with three sexual sins, immorality, impurity, and sensuality. And then he goes on to name two religious sins. He talks about idolatry and sorcery. There Paul is naming specific religious practices that were common in Galatia at the time. And then next, Paul gives us, this is telling, he gives us a really long list of eight 
what we might call relationship sins, ways that we hurt each other, divisiveness, enmity, jealousy, those things. And then finally, he names abuses. He talks, he names addiction to substance or substance abuse. He talks about drinking and orgies in this in this passage, that's a reference to, to what was a common practice of drinking orgies. Uh, that's really about alcohol. Uh, John Stott liked the word carousing for that. And so he names those four things. He talks about sex. He talks about relationships. He talks about religion. And he talks about substances. That's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? Let me ask you. Did anybody in this room... You don't need to raise your hands. But did anybody in this room escape that list? Are any of us clean? Let's drive it a little deeper. Has any one of us not been hurt by the things on that list? Hurt ourselves or been hurt by somebody else? Paul drives it even deeper. He tells us what's at stake in the struggle in verse 21. He says, those who do such things, meaning abide in them, practice them as a habit of life, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you're wondering what's at stake, there it is. Here's what I want you to see. I want you to hear this so clearly. That when the Holy Spirit comes to you, he has engaged in a fight with the things that harm you. He has taken up residence right in the places where you hurt the most. And that's, that's where he struggles for your good. This tells us a lot. But I'd love, like to mention this before moving on. That one of the things we know because of this is that God is simply not surprised by us. Like it is easy to look at that list and feel shame. It is easy to look at that list and think, I need to get better at hiding these things. But I want you to know that God sees these things. He's not surprised by us. It's not as if when we confess our sins like we did earlier, that the Godhead kind of huddles up, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they decide which sins are, are bad and which ones aren't as bad or which ones are disqualifying. We don't have to be ashamed to bring our sins before God. In fact, Hebrews tells us, That Jesus understands every weakness of ours. That he was tempted in every way. In fact, he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. And so we're encouraged to draw near to a throne of grace with confidence that God hates our sin. He names it and he hates our sin. But he loves you and he comes for you just as you are in the good news of the gospel is that as he comes to us just as we are, he promises, he makes a commitment not to leave us as we are. And this is where he leads us along the way of victory. Because there's two lists in this passage. There's one that's hard to look at, and then there's one that we can't stop looking at. Am I right? Like this is, this is, this is a pretty well-known list, the fruit of the Spirit. It's one that we've probably heard before. We might see it on a plaque on somebody's wall. We might have memorized it at one time. We probably, if we have kids, we might want our kids to see it, you know. Because it's beautiful. 
It, it is just beautiful. Who doesn't want those things? Who doesn't want to look like those things? Who doesn't want to be around people that look like those things? But we have to be careful because there are ways that we can look at the fruit of the Spirit and think of it kind of like a magazine cover where we, where we look at it. And what's on a magazine cover? Something beautiful usually, right? A person or a view or a house or something like that. And it's gorgeous and it's perfect. And we can look at that and we can acknowledge its beauty. It can look wonderful to us. But we can also at the same time say, I'll never look like that. Or my house will never look like that. Or it can, the beauty of it can just feel very, very far away. And so what are the things I want you to see in this passage? Is that this is not a club telling you to become more like this. This is a promise that the Holy Spirit, when he comes to us in faith, that he is working these things into us. Because he's deeply committed to us. These are gifts to you. Because the joy of the Holy Spirit, the one whose whisper divine seals mercy and righteousness and pardon, I got those mixed up, is that he doesn't just go to work on the things that are ugly in us, but he actually seeks to replace them with something beautiful. And what is that? That is the Holy Spirit. That is the the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in our heart. So he is making us. You can take it to the bank that he is making us a people that are more loving. That is the work that he's about in your heart right now. He is making us a people who find the sacrifice that love requires easier. He is making us a people who are patient. He is making us a people who are more prone to being gentle with those, especially those who hurt. He is making us a people who find joy a little more natural. That is what he's doing. This is his commitment to you. How does this work? Well, listen, friends, the Holy Spirit is all about help. This is his job. He is all about helping you know the love of God for you, given to you in Jesus Christ through faith in him. That is the work that he's about in your heart. He wants nothing more than to deepen your love and affection for Jesus, carried out day to day, felt at a gut level, deep in your heart. That's what he wants for you. And so he trains you in love by pointing you to the author of all love. He is... He he is about the work of proclaiming the truth of who Jesus is to our very hearts at all times, deepening us in love for him. And there's no mistake that when you look at these examples of the fruit of the spirit, that we see them running throughout the narrative of Jesus's life. That Jesus is the one who's perfect in love. Jesus is the one who's perfect in joy. And he trains us to be more patient with people the more we come to appreciate just how patient God is with us. He he trains us in being more faithful to the commitments that we've made because we remember just how faithful Jesus has been to us. That we, as we deepen in love for Jesus, we become more like him. What does the catechism say? He says, we are being renewed in the image of Jesus himself. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us. This is how relationships work, right? Like, think about some of your most prized relationships in your life. You know, the ones where you have like that soul connection where you just love each other, maybe like those brothers, you know. You could probably observe ways you started becoming more like each other, right? Like there are things about that person you admire and wish you were, right? 
and they probably feel the same way about you, and you, you can spur each other on, you probably become more like each other. And so what the Holy Spirit is doing is building your relationship with Jesus so that you become more like him. That's the victory that's accomplished in the hearts of his people. Now look, I love that Paul calls this fruit. Because fruit is delicious. Am I right? And it's not just, I mean, it's sweet. I mean, it tastes unique. You know, you can't, can't like, you know, copy it. You don't find that, those flavors anywhere else. And it's really something special. Fruit trees exist for the good of those around them. Like as we grow in this fruit, other people benefit. There's a lot that we can learn about this just being fruit. But I, I just want to focus on this. And this is, and it's this, that, that fruits grow fruits. My goodness. Fruit grows slowly. Fruit grows slowly. It's a gradual thing. It, it can grow, it can be kind of painfully slow, can it? Like, like we can't see it grow. It grows so slowly. And the, the, the development of the fruit of the Spirit in our own hearts can often feel that way too. That just as the Holy Spirit is committed to you, that he works on you, that growth in the fruit of the Spirit is inevitable, it also happens slowly. It can happen painfully slow. And, and we can be discouraged by that. We can, we can look at our own lives and wonder, am I actually growing in love? Am I actually growing in joy? And, and I only say that because I want to make the point that this is why we need each other in each other's lives. In a place where we can make observations about the way, other, the way each other are growing. Like, I can't really make a clear assessment about if I'm a more patient man than I was one year ago, two years ago, but I bet my wife could. I bet the people that know me can. I bet they can make those observations. And there's nothing more encouraging than that. Being able to say to somebody, I see evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your heart in this way. Remember what the brothers were talking with each other about. They were talking with each other about who they were becoming. And one of the things Paul is saying to us is that that conversation is, is just a mere but glorious reflection of the conversation that the Holy Spirit is having with your heart right now as he proclaims to you over and over and over again, as he insists to you the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for you and that he is coming back for you, holds us in faith. Now, this is all true, and it's all wonderful. It's a glorious promise. Look at the list of the fruit, of the, the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit with hope, because it's a promise to you. Now, there are a lot of different people in here, and so I just want to ask you the question. Is this revealing a longing in your heart in any way? Like, as we're talking about this, are you thinking, like, uh, is the Holy Spirit speaking? Like, are you wondering about this going on in you personally at a deep level? And some of us here might say that, hey, I, I enjoy my life. I have a happy life. I have the things that I want. I really love the work that I do. I feel secure. Some of us in here feel like life is is hard. feel like life is difficult. 
that it's full of pain. And most of us here are somewhere in between there. And what, what I want you to hear is that the Holy Spirit speaks to us both in our happiness and in our pain. And in our happiness, I don't begrudge you happiness. I feel pretty happy right now. I'm really happy that you're happy, okay? And I don't want to take away your happiness, okay? But there are ways in our happiness that walking by the Spirit can become less important to us. That we can feel satisfied and we can become complacent in our happiness. And in that scary verse, verse 21, Paul is not trying to rob us of assurance. He's trying to rob us of complacency. And so I'd love for you to just ask yourself the question, am I happy? Do I have, in my happiness, do I have joy in Christ? One is temporary and the other is eternal. If all this was taken away, would I still have joy in Christ? Is it possible that in our happy, our happiness is actually getting in the way of our joy in Christ? And friends, also, God speaks to us in our pain. Sometimes we can become angry in pain, right? Sometimes we can feel like God is far away in our pain. But actually, God uses, sometimes the Holy Spirit uses suffering and pain in ways that tenderize us, that soften us, that that encourage us, that redirect us toward him. C.S. Lewis once said this, those C.S. Lewis fans knew this was coming. Pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, and shouts to us in our pain. Remember, the Holy Spirit is closest to you where you're wounded. That's where he is. He doesn't begrudge your pain. In fact, he comes to you to heal you of your pain. So let me ask you, is it possible that the Holy Spirit is working on you? I called a friend of mine not too long ago, and I said, hey, I'm just like I'm working on this sermon on the Holy Spirit, talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and I'm wondering what it looks like when the Spirit looks at me, and he says, hey, that's great. That means the Holy Spirit's working on you, sparking your curiosity, like developing your longings for these things. And so I would just ask you, I would ask you to take time and ask the Holy Spirit what he's up to in your life. What could he be doing? One of the things he's doing is he's building these fruit into you right now. Let me just add one thing before I wrap up. These conversations are best had in prayer and with friendship in conversation. Like don't, 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 don't go home alone and start to work on this. Like journal, that's great, but talk to friends about it. I would encourage you, you need people in your life who can do that. Because the challenge that Paul gives to us is that we walk by the Spirit. And the Spirit is happy to walk with you. Whether you are running free or whether you're limping to the finish line. Back in 1992, the Olympics were in Barcelona. Some of, you, some of us remember that. So, <laughs> and there was a runner there named Derek Redmond. He was from England, um, 
And he came to Barcelona expecting to medal. Uh, he had had a heartbreaking uh, race four years ago when the Olympics were in Seoul, where he blew an Achilles tendon while he was racing. All his dreams were shattered in that moment. It was terribly difficult. And he went back home and was committed to um, getting healthy again and coming back and racing again in Barcelona. And he actually made it, which is really hard. But he, he came back. He had actually just a year before had just broken England's world record in the 400 meters. And he looked like he was on pace to really compete for a medal. And, uh, and that was his expectation. That was why he was there. That was his complete purpose for being there. And, you know, the 100 meter gets all the attention, right? We're all watching that. That's the fastest person in the world. But most runners will tell you that it's the 400 that's really, really difficult. That's the hardest one because the human body is just not meant to exert itself over, you know, 45 seconds. It's just awful, okay? It's terrible pain. And in the early races, Derek Redmond was doing really, really well. His times were lining up. It looked like he was going to make the finals. And he's in the semifinal race. He looks good. And he's halfway around when it happens. He, felt, he feels a pop in his hamstring. And most athletes will be able to tell you he probably knew exactly what that felt. He knew exactly what that pain was. And he immediately stopped and went down to one knee. All the runners kept going. And when you were looking at him, this is on YouTube, you can look it up. If you're looking at him, he's on one knee. The race is over at that point. They see his body begin to tremble because he starts crying. He's wounded and he's wondering if he's actually going to finish the race. What's it going to look like for him? And medics come out to him and he shrugs him off and he stands up. And he's hobbled. He can't even walk well. He starts skipping on one, like his good leg. He's like, I'm going to finish this race. And then the crowd begins cheering him on. And he's making his way forward. And then on the corner of the screen, you see a man making his way to him. His father had jumped out of the stands and plowed through security and was coming up behind him on the track. And he takes his son's arm, puts it over his shoulder. He puts his arm around his boy. His boy turns to him sobbing at this point, and you were too, if you were watching it. And together, they walk step by step, walking together to the finish line. And here's the part that grabbed me. As they were going along, ushers came out to try and stop them, to get them off the track, because they have a lot of races to do. They looked really bad trying to do that. It's this amazing moment. The stands are going crazy. The two of them are going together. People are crying. And this father looks out and he starts brushing them off because he's going to make sure that nothing gets in the way of his son and the finish line. There is something akin to that in the Holy Spirit's work in your life. That no matter how wounded you are, no matter how, self, how full of self-doubt you might be, no matter how weak you might feel, no matter the level of happiness or pain in your life, you are walking step and step, step, walking step by step with the Holy Spirit as he labors along and makes sure nothing gets between you and your finish line.
Amen. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, we owe you a great deal of thanks that you are committed to us, that you are good to us in ways we can't summon up for ourselves. And I pray that you would build in us love for you. Please give your divine whisper to us. Deepen us in faith. and Help us to trust. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.